The scripture reading for this morning is uh, Acts uh, 16, verses 11 through 40. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our cities. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, he saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he, would bat- and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And when it was day, 
the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates are sent to, to, uh, sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, You have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do now, and, and do now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the reading of God's word. Praise be to God. You can be seated. Well, again, I want to say welcome if you're new with us. Um, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. If you are new, we preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we are walking uh, through the book of Acts, and we've been doing that for some time now. Appreciate, Al, uh, these larger scripture readings I know can, can be a challenge, but it's really, uh, actually really good for us to hear and survey the whole story um, or the whole chapter like he just read, except for the part, the, the small part we covered last week. And, and as we go forward, we will uh, be covering more uh, larger chunks of, of scripture in these, these chapters like this. But just to catch you up on where we are in Acts chapter 16, uh, we know that Paul and Barnabas have split. And this is part of Paul's second missionary journey. And he finds himself in uh, Macedonia. And if you remember last week, uh, what happened? Like nothing was going according to God, uh, according to Paul's plans, right? Like he was trying to go to Asia Minor. And then what happened? Like the Holy Spirit prevented him. He was trying to go somewhere else. And then it says that the spirit of Jesus forbid him from going there. And then all of a sudden he gets this vision of this man that says, come to Macedonia. And so it's called this Macedonian call. And, and so Paul and Silas, right, they, they kind of say, hey, is this vision accurate? And they're like, yes, let's do it. And so they head to Macedonia. And what we see and what, what Al just read through the scriptures here is what took place in Macedonia. Praise God that Paul and Silas didn't tr- just plow through their plan, right? Didn't go, well, we want to go to Asia Minor. We want to go the route that we want to go. Um, and we're going to go that way. They heard, they yielded to the spirit. And what dictated them was not their map, right? It was not their personal agenda. It was the spirit of God. And that's where we get um, this scene and these scenes here in Macedonia. And to be honest, things are going very well for Paul and Silas, right? People are coming to faith, um, so much so that did you pick up what uh, the, the indictment was against them in verse 20, right? Not, not just that they were taking the profits from this couple, but look in verse 20. When they're standing before the magistrates, they go, listen, these are the guys who are disturbing our city. That's kind of an interesting indictment, right? Like these are the guys disturbing our city. What kind of disturbance are these guys creating? Like what's, what's taking place? What we know and what we see from the text, the only disturbance we can, we can find is this, that people are coming to the saving work of Jesus Christ, and that is disturbing the ecosystem, if you will, maybe the economics of this one couple, at least, of the city, right? It's not that the Christians are angry and they're out in the street. No, no, it's literally that there are salvations happening at such a rate that literally it's distorting and disturbing the whole city. Like, first off, how cool is that? Right? How cool and how powerful is our God that literally when people come to salvation, like it disturbs the city in the best kind of ways. I think about that, the, even the, the video that we just watched, like those things are disturbing a city, right? 
Two years ago, when we, we, when we felt like the Lord calling us to, to start a medical clinic through the church here, like we had no idea that there was going to be a global pandemic, right? We thought we'd, we'd have a handful of patients that we would have no idea that it would grow and grow to so many being uninsured here because of the situation that we find ourselves in. But who knew? God knew, right? His plans, his ways, his directions are always better than ours. And so we see that working out here in Macedonia where literally they are disturbing the whole city because people are coming to faith. How cool would that be if that happened in McKinney? Right, if we would just see a flood of people coming to faith and salvation in Jesus Christ, so much so that the city's like, man, this is kind of disrupting our thing because here's what we're going to find is it's not going to be an unhealthy, it's not going to be an annoying disturbance. It's going to be a beautiful reality of the kingdom of God breaking forth. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see healing. We're going to see liberty. We're going to see needs being met like never before. We're going to see the broken put back together because that's what the kingdom of God, when it breaks forth, it disturbs in the best kind of ways. And so these people were indicting them, but really what was happening was the beauty of the kingdom of God was breaking forth. And so listen, we're seeing that in, in small glimpses. But, but Luke does something very interesting here. Of all these salvations in Macedonia, or in this region of Philippi particularly, he pulls out three. Did you get that? There are three different moments of salvation here, right? Lydia, a slave girl, and a Gentile jailer. So a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Coincidence? Some of you shaking your head. Some of you, not at all. First off, there's no coincidence in the kingdom of God, by the way. But for Luke, the writer here, there is no coincidence at all because um, Jewish men, when they would wake up, they would have several prayers that they would recite. The first things that would come out of their mouths. And one of their earliest prayers that they would say every day is this. God, thank you that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. That's what would come out of their mouths. You think it's coincidence that Luke, what he's painting a picture here in Acts of what's going forth with the Spirit is that God is saving a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Luke's going, listen, in God's economy, there is no preference. There's no favoritism. There is no no distinction based upon gender or race or socioeconomics. So let me give you these three cases, Jewish men, of how our God works. And so we're going to walk through these three stories, okay? We're going to walk through these three stories, and we're going to look at the power of the Holy Spirit in in three areas. And you can write these three words down. I feel like we've been writing a lot of three words down, but these three words. To convert, okay? To confront, and to comfort. The power of the Holy Spirit in each one of these scenes, to convert, to confront, and to comfort. So let's take Lydia, right? This is verses 11 through 15. Lydia, obviously, we know that she is a woman. We've said that multiple times now, but she's, she, she's an interesting case here because she's from Asia and she's a, she's a businesswoman. It says that she's a seller of purple goods. And, and, and back in the day, to get the color purple was very, very expensive because of the way that you had to mix things to get the color purple. And so her clientele or the people she would have been selling to would have also been very affluent. They would have paid a very high price for what she was selling. So we understand her to be an affluent, a wealthy woman who owns a home. We're told that from the text and probably more than one scholars say. And so here in verse 14, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at it. It says something interesting about, uh, about Lydia. It says that she is a worshiper of God. That's a little confusing, right? Because, wait a minute, doesn't she come to faith? Right? Like, the, the, what does it mean? Well, this was a pretty common phase and uh, phrase in, in other places in Scripture. It'll say that they, they were God-fearers. This does not mean that she was a Christ follower. 
This most likely means that Lydia uh, had some religious background, some religious knowledge. She probably had a Hebrew Bible. She probably understood the laws or was looking at them. She, she could see the sacrifices. But yet there was still something missing in Lydia, right? She had, if you will, half the story. And then what happens is she hears the gospel proclaimed by Paul and by Silas. And then the rest of the story makes sense. She hears that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And all of it makes sense. And Lydia, this religious person, this wealthy, affluent woman, now comes to faith. Notice at the end of verse 15, who is the active agent in conversion? Converting, right? Who is the active agent in it? Is it Lydia? Like Lydia all of a sudden was enlightened to this new way. Was it Paul's preaching? Was it Silas? Was it, was it a, a great you know, worship set? No, look at it. It says that the Lord opened her heart. When we talk about salvation, when we talk about conversion, the active agent is always the Lord. He does the one working. He does the one opening. He is the one who bursts open our blind eyes. He's the one who gives deaf ears hearing. Listen, I can't do that. You can't do that. Lydia couldn't do that. But the sovereign Lord saw fit to save her and redeem her. And what Acts says is that the Lord opened her heart. He took all of that religious baggage. He took all that religious knowledge, as good or as binding as it may have been, and it illuminated to the reality that Christ alone saves. So what did the Holy Spirit confront? If that's how he converted, what did he confront? Well, he probably confronted many of the things that you and I, because if I had to guess in here, the majority of us, where we would fall is we'd fall on the spectrum of, of needing to be redeemed or confronted in our religiosity, right? And in, in believing that it's our works or our good behavior that make us right before God or a set of morals that make us right before God. Even if we intellectually assent, no, I know that I'm saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. Like if, if we'd even intellectually assent that our, our functional practice of our lives is really one based in religion or in works. If I, can just, if I could just do this better, if I could just strive harder, then God would be pleased with me. Like that's, that's no doubt what the Holy Spirit confronts here in her. And it's the same thing of what, when we talk about what the Holy Spirit comforts in her. Think about this. Think about the freedom that comes when you hear, when I hear, when, when Lydia would have heard, hey, listen, your salvation is not tied to your doing. Your salvation is not tied to your moralism. It's not tied to how well you practice things or how, how well you do this or what you do say or what you don't say. Your salvation is tied to Jesus Christ alone. Faith in him alone, period. Imagine the rest that that brings. If you've ever been on a religious treadmill like I have been before, just running, running, and going nowhere, you know how weary that is. You know how tiring that is. Imagine possibly how tired Lydia was, and then she hears this gospel of grace, and she goes, I can rest in that. And then it lights up all the striving. Then it lights up all the obedience. Then it gives light to why we actually do what we do. Here's what we see. Praise God. God saves religious people like me and you. God saves religious people like Lydia. And her response is pretty interesting after this. She says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, she says. I think one of the things that flow from salvation, true genuine salvation in Christ is this, is a radical and generous hospitality. Where Lydia is going, listen, whatever I have is yours. Come stay in my place. Come, come eat my food. Here, here, every, everything I have is yours, right? There is a radical hospitality that comes. So that's the first scene. Second scene is this, this slave girl. Now this is a, um, it is meant to be a very powerful and moving scene, okay? So I, I want you to feel this because it's really easy to read the scriptures and not actually understand what's taking place here and what's going on in this, this little girl's uh, life. Um, 
She is, for all intents and purposes, the direct opposite of Lydia. The only thing that they have in common is that they're, they're, they're both female, okay? She uh, is poor. She has no money. She has no rights. She has no freedom. And, and from what we gathered the scriptures, she actually doesn't even have a name, okay? Lydia was named. This girl just is known as a slave girl. She is uh, tormented and abused in more than one way. It could be looked at in modern terms as a victim of child trafficking. She's exploited for financial gain by her owners. And, but even more deeply than that, she's tormented by evil spirits. Did you pick up that in verse 16 where it said that she had a spirit of divination? What in the world is a spirit of divination? Well, we know from the text that it says that, that, that her owners profited off of her because she could tell the future, right? Future telling in some form or some fashion. But looking at this, and so the Bible in the New Testament was written in a language called Greek, okay? And so this word, spirit of divination, actually translates to this, the spirit of the python. Like, go look it up. Like, just the spirit of the python. And so, for me, I'd never seen that, never looked at that, and I'm like, what in the world is the spirit of the python? And right? And why is Luke, the author of Acts, calling what she has the spirit of the python? So, that sent me down a trail, and I'm not going to bore you with everything, But the spirit of the python is actually Luke referring to a Greek mythology dealing with Apollos. So I could tell you all all, all about that, but but it doesn't matter. It was Greek mythology. And so the the hearers and the readers and the people who would have read this originally would have understand that, that kind of title. They would have understand that kind of phrase. And so we need to ask the question, is Luke giving credence to Greek mythology? Is he giving some kind of like shout out to Greek mythologies? No. In no way is Luke doing that. What he's saying here is that behind this idea of a spirit of the python is something very deviant, very sinister, and very evil going on. So maybe to a reader just reading this on the surface, it could seem like just kind of something casual, this this mythology, this, this ideology. But Luke is going, there is something very, very dark under that idea, under that mythology is something very sinister, all right? So, so let's think about this in our, our current context, possibly, all right? And, and maybe some of your minds are even going there, like, Kyle, are you going to talk about Halloween? Seriously, bro? Like, come on, fall fest, call it whatever you want. Okay, I don't care. But what I am going to talk about is the reality that we live in a spiritual world, right? That we live in a spiritual battle, we, we, that we are at war in a spiritual warfare, Okay? And so the idea that these things that can be looked at as, you know, just trite, just silly, just, just mythology, just these small little things, right? Underneath them have this deep, sinister power and evil weight that if we are not careful in wisdom as believers, the enemy can seize hold of those and it can lead to things like what this girl is experiencing, okay? On the surface, they can look one way, right? Think of, think of horoscopes. Like, Kyle, horoscopes really are just these words on a page that don't mean anything. Listen. We as believers, we see things differently. We see not with flesh eyes, but with spiritual eyes. So we don't even entertain. Kyle, seriously, like it's just a horror film. It's just a movie. Listen, I don't want to give one iota, one inch to the enemy to work his way into my mind or to my kid's mind or to their hearts. That we are to take literally everything captive and make it obedient to Christ. Yeah, take a horoscope and make it. No, you're going to reject it every time, right? So listen, there are areas in which we as Christians, okay, and listen, 
we as Christians, we don't look for Satan under every rock, right? We're not looking, we're not going, okay, that's a black stand and a black stool. Black means darkness. Darkness is where Satan hangs out. Why are you preaching from a black stand? No, okay? Hear me. But we do engage thoughtfully and with spirit-ledness how we do things. Like as Christians, we can step into darkness and redeem it. The Spirit is alive in us. We don't fear those things. There are other things as Christians we don't step in to redeem, but we just simply all outright reject. And we say, listen, there's, there's nothing. And there are other things in our, our world that we, we receive as God's common grace and good grace to us. But I think, particularly even this week, as we'll be exposed to, to these things, seemingly trite, seemingly innocent, be on guard. Be on guard. Be, be watchful. And so back to this, this scene with this girl. Um, she's doubly abused by her owners and by this spirit. Um, we are meant in this scene to feel a compassion and a pity on her, right? Verse 17 is very interesting in this scene where she calls out. She's been following Paul and Barnabas for some days. And she calls out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Wait a minute. I thought this girl was full of evil. That sounds correct to me, right? Like that sounds like she just nailed it, right? A hundred percent. That is exactly what Paul and Barnabas, or, or, excuse me, Paul and Silas are about. That's exactly what they're doing. Why would this be included like this? Well, there could be two possible reasons. I'll give you both. The first thing is this, is that this is actually the evil spirits articulating the truth about Paul and Silas, Right? They're the ones going, oh, these are the servants of the Most High God. They're the ones showing you the way of salvation through Christ. They're the ones. Why? Because everybody in town knows this girl's reputation. Everybody in town knows how this girl has operated, that she has this spirit of fortune telling. And so what the enemy is trying to do is trying to get Paul and Silas to be associated with the crazy. They're trying to get it to be associated with the crazy. They go, listen, if, they, if she knows what they're about, like, I'm, I'm, we're good. We're good. You keep, you keep proclaiming. Or... Other places in scripture where we see spiritual oppression, it's not like you get like some trance over you and you're just like a robot or a zombie, okay? That you are aware of things, right? You know what's going on. So very clearly, this could be this girl's cry for help. It's Paul and Silas. These, these are servants of the Most High God. The way of salvation, the way of deliverance, the way of freedom, the way of liberty. It could be a cry out, help me. And then it says, Paul was annoyed. Do you see that? Was he annoyed by this little girl following around? No, he wasn't annoyed. He was annoyed by this spirit that was controlling her, that was holding her captive. And then what does he say to it? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, release her. Be gone. Remove yourself from her. And what happens? What happens anytime you evoke the name of Jesus, right? The name above every name flees. It goes away. And so the confrontation here against the spiritual oppressor, oppressor and not just a spiritual oppressor, but an evil system that this girl was involved in with these people who were trafficking her were thwarted by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. So listen, let me say again to us as believers, we do not cower 
and we do not shrink back in fear based upon these spiritual realities. But we understand that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Greater is he who was in Paul and Silas than he that was in this little girl. And Paul and Silas knew it. And they said, God, you're going to prove it. And guess what? He did. And so maybe you come here this morning and you are struggling in addiction. You're struggling with some level of oppression or depression or anxiety. Or I I don't know what other plethora of thing that sin struggle that you keep falling in, falling in. Listen, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. There is freedom found when the Holy Spirit releases you. When you submit to his way and to his call, he will free you. But the confrontation that Paul and Silas had here didn't stop there, did it? You see, it led to another confrontation. You see, as we follow Christ, as we follow the way of Jesus by walking in the Spirit's power, we will face persecution. As we get serious, listen to me, as you and I get serious about wading into these waters, these kind of waters that the enemy doesn't want us to wade into, we will face opposition and we will face persecution. What happens to Paul and Silas? They're thrown in prison. And they're not just thrown in prison, and this is our last scene. But look at it in verse 22 and 23. It says, as they they were brought forward, they beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. They put them literally in the center of the prison, the darkest, deepest place they could find. After beating them, Shackling them up. You just set a little girl free. You just saw Lydia come to faith. And they're beaten for it. You see this Philippian jailer who now is going to be setting this scene between Lydia and a slave girl tormented by evil oppressors. He probably falls somewhere in the middle. He's probably middle class. He's, he's a Gentile. He's probably religiously indifferent, okay? Just hasn't really thought about it. Maybe, you know, whatever. But he's just doing his job, going along. And I want us to get into this scene as well really quickly. That Paul and Silas, let me make no mistake, were unjustly beaten. They were falsely imprisoned on all the wrong levels. But what is it that we find them doing? What do we find them doing in verse 25? Yeah. Do we find them shouting about how how innocent they are, how wrong they were? And all those things are accurate. Even just think about your flesh. They were just beaten severely. At minimum, maybe they'd just be in that cell wincing like, ah, ah, or trying to go to sleep. But what are they doing in the face of suffering? They are praying and singing hymns, right? They're going, you're perfect in all of your ways, right? He said, wait, they were singing hymns. Great is your faithfulness, right? Like, they're just like, they didn't have those songs back then, okay? Like, but, but imagine, like, what was going out from the jail cell. Like, like, these guys are praying and proclaiming the goodness of God. They're locked up. They're bloodied. They're beaten. But they know the way of Jesus is perfect. They know, based upon their experience, that his way will not lead them into a place that he does not have them and hold them. So they're sitting in that cell shackled up with all that kind of confidence, praying, praising, despite their wounds. 
And then what happens? God responds. Earthquake. Foundations of the prison shake. The doors burst open, it says, and then all of the shackles fall off of them. Okay, for me, I'm sitting in there, I'm praying, I'm singing, and then that happens. I'm like, God, thank you so much for answering that. Bloop, I'm out. Like, right? God just answered my prayer. I, I'm like, I had some awesome faith, you know? Like, I'm just gone. What did they do? They stayed put. Why? See, Paul and Silas, they saw and they knew that God's greatest work was typically not not the thing they could see with their fleshly eyes. They knew that their freedom was not on top of God's mind. Instead, the freedom of a Gentile jailer was on the top of God's mind. And so they sat there. Freeman! And peering out, they see this jailer about to take his own life. And they go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're still here. Oh, we're still waiting. Yeah, we could have gone free. We could have went out the cell. We could have walked out those doors. The earth shit quake. We, we get all that. But it happened to show you that God loves you. That the gospel you heard us singing about and praising God for, it's for you, Gentile. It's for you. Our wounds, hey, don't worry about it. It's part of the kingdom. Salvation has come for you. Imagine if they would have left that jail cell. Imagine if they would have went, shackles are gone, doors are open, we're out. Jailer would have took his own life. But instead, them seeing the bigger picture of God's plan, the Spirit leading them, stay put so that God might save and convert this Roman, this Gentile jailer. Incredible scene of God's power, of Paul and Silas's faithfulness, of yielding to the Spirit and not their plans and not their preferences, that they would worship despite and witness despite their wounds. You see, Isaiah 61 we look at this scene of God saving a woman, a slave girl, and a Gentile jailer in the most profound and powerful ways. You see that jailer, it says that his whole household, the whole trajectory of his household was changed because of that moment. You see Isaiah 61, literally written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Acts ever took place, says this about our Savior, about the Messiah, about Jesus who hadn't come yet is that he would do what? He would look at it here at the middle of verse 1, that he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Lydia, religiously held captive. The slave girl, literally held captive. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This jailer, this Gentile jailer, who had no reference, no frame of reference for who God was, heard the gospel and saw the gospel in Paul and Silas and came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus does. That's the power of the Holy Spirit to convert, to confront, and to comfort. It's no different today. He's still doing that. You know that, right? He's still moving in our lives and among us in that same way. That what Jesus inaugurated in his kingdom and in his peace coming, his spirit, his spirit continues to work out through people like Paul and Silas and ultimately works out through his church.
You see, all three of these people became founding members of the Philippian church. This church has a special place in Paul's heart. The first letter to the Philippian church, he says, the first chapter, excuse me, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He goes, here's what I'm confident. Here's what I'm confident, Lydia. Here's what I'm confident, slave girl. Here's what I'm confident with you, Gentile jail. Here's what I'm confident in. The Lord is going to see this through to the end. They would have gotten up in the middle of their Philippian church and they would have read these letters from Paul. And I love thinking about Lydia reading that letter. I love thinking about this liberated captive girl reading that letter of the liberty that is found in Jesus Christ. This Gentile jailer, right? He's like, I I, I knew nothing about God. Until he showed up in power and strength and might. And he saved me. I didn't deserve it. I deserve to die. Listen, if you're a Christian, their story is no different than your story and my story. Someone else giving up their life, their rights, their liberty, laying it down so that we could have life ourselves. That's the gospel. And so we're going to take communion this morning in a fitting response. And if you have those elements, you can take them out. But before we take them, um, here's what I want us to sit in for just a second. Michael and Tessa, you can come up. Um, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do those three things this morning. I feel like he wants to, to bring about new life. I feel like he wants to confront some things in in our lives. And if you're a believer here, even in your life. And for some of you, here's what the Spirit wants to do this morning. He wants to bring comfort. Maybe you're walking through some very, very difficult things right now. Waters, decisions, maybe some unknown things to anyone else. But the Spirit of God this morning, he wants to be comforter to you. He wants to show you how much the Father cares and loves you because of Christ. Walking through whatever you're walking through. And so before we take these elements, I just want us just to think just for a moment and ask what the Spirit wants to do. For some of you, you've been on that religious rat wheel trying to stack up to God. You've been doing this and this and this and going, surely that's it. But yet you know it's not. And this morning, the Spirit's drawing you and calling you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone and rest. Rest in His grace. Rest in the power of His mercy to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. So let's just spend just a brief moment and ask the Spirit what He wants to do. Father, speak to our hearts. Bring salvation to this place. Disturb our city. Disturb our plans. Shake us, rattle us, wake us up. Confront us in our sin. Confront us with realities that need to be true of us that aren't. Confront us in our apathy. God, comfort those who are suffering. Comfort those who are are grieving or hurting. You're the comforter, God. Make it personal. Do something powerful in our midst, 
in our day. Let us perceive it, as Isaiah says. Let us not miss it. Let us see it, God. And I want to follow Paul and Silas's lead as they were in the prison. And I want to sing just before we take communion together, just a simple song. And this is a song we sing in my house and um, just of adoration and, and, and love for King Jesus. Mm-hmm.